and it's just been, uh, well, great. I love reading John's Gospel. And uh, today we're up to chapter 15, I am the vine. John writes his Gospel, as we've been saying week by week, so that we might believe in Jesus. That's his reason for writing. That whoever reads it might encounter Jesus and might trust in his love. He writes it for those who do believe. And he writes that they may continue to believe. It is the story of God's new creation in Jesus. And when we reached chapter 13, there was a kind of change in the gospel. And John starts to focus on how Jesus began to prepare his disciples for what was to come. And it's amazing how how much of John's gospel just takes place in those last few days and hours before Jesus is crucified. He begins to prepare his disciples for his arrest, for his torture, death, crucifixion. He prepares his disciples for his resurrection, although they don't quite understand what he means. He begins to prepare his disciples for his departure. But he promises that he will always be with them, and they can't quite get their heads around that either. And he begins to equip them for the mission that he is going to send them on. And one of the key things to that mission he'll talk about in this passage that we'll read together. And John gives us a glimpse on the last bit of chapter 14 that Jesus says, come now, let's leave. He's leaving the upper room and they begin their journey to the Garden of Gethsemane. They'll not reach the Garden until chapter 18, which just tells you that Jesus, as he goes, is teaching his disciples He has much to say to them. They may not take it all in at once. But the Holy Spirit will come and remind them of everything that Jesus told them. And as they leave, we don't know this for sure, but they they may have passed a vine on the way. Or they may have passed the temple, and in the porch of the temple there was a great... Vine, golden vine above the uh, porch of the temple. And it may have just sparked what Jesus just says now. So we're going to read it together, John 15, verse 1 to 17, and uh, it'll appear on the screen. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we just spend some time looking at your word, that you will speak to us by your spirit. And that we will know more about you and know you more. Apply your word to us individually, but also corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. I am the true vine. One of the many areas in my life which... I possess near total incompetence, and there are many, is gardening. I just don't get it, really. I think it's an act of futility. Come, that went down badly, didn't it? All fans of Gardener's World, obviously. I say that because I'm useless at it. And I get fed up with it. I get frustrated. You clear up these weeds and they just come back. What's the point of that? But I'm aware that some of you may love gardening. And I am grateful for those of you who do. And I'm grateful for those who have helped along the years in our garden. And a special plug for Daryl, who's brilliant. But I struggle with gardening. But thankfully, thankfully, you don't have to love gardening or be green-fingered to understand what Jesus is saying in this passage. So you're going to be brilliant at this because you all love gardening. I'm the one who's going to be relieved that I can understand this even though I don't understand gardening. Sometimes I laugh at Edward uh, when he talks about sport metaphors and he's trying to convince us that he knows anything about sport, uh, particularly football. Um, uh, but I'm glad he's not here because he would just laugh at me if I start talking to you about gardening because um, he's quite good at that. He hasn't got much of a garden, to be honest. 
I think I could be a good gardener with one pot. <laughs> but, I, but I am straying from um, what I'm supposed to be talking about. Jesus leaves the upper room with his disciples, and he, along the way toward Gethsemane, this is all happening on the way to Gethsemane. He begins to talk more with his disciples. And he says the final I am saying that we have in John's gospel. You'll remember the I am sayings in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. And the word I am being so key. It was the name of God given in the Old Testament to Moses. I am who I am. And Jesus takes it upon himself. I am the bread of life. You'll never be hungry if you follow me. Before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus spoke of his pre-existence. I am the light of the world. You'll never be in the dark. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the sheep recognize his voice. I am the resurrection and the life. Death is going to be conquered by Jesus. He says, whoever believes in me will live. Even though they die they will live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way of God. He is the truth of God. He is the life of God, the revelation of God. If we want to know God, we look at Jesus. And then finally, I am the true vine. Now the vine was the supreme symbol of Israel. Again and again in the Old Testament, Israel is pictured as a vine or a vineyard. And above the temple, as I said, of Herod's temple, there was a great golden vine. And perhaps as they passed, Jesus refers to it. In Psalm 80, God brought a vine out of Egypt. And he planted it In the promised land. He calls his people a vine. And he plants it in the promised land. In Isaiah 5, there is a song of the vineyard. And it says, I will sing of the one I love. A song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then he went to look for good grapes. And he yielded only bad fruit. And the Hebrew word is not just bad fruit. The Hebrew word is yuck. You know when grapes yielded bad fruit? They refused the gardener's hand. Shutting God out. Jesus told a parable about the tenants in a vineyard. And he was addressing it to the religious leaders of the day. And he said a man planted a vineyard and he rented it out to tenants. They didn't own the vineyard. But when the master sent servants to collect some of the fruit, they treated the servants terribly. They beat them. He sent more servants and they they beat them. He sent more servants and they beat them, reference to the prophets. And then he says, I will send my son. This is Jesus telling this story 
to the religious leaders. I will send my son, says the master. And the tenant said, it's the son. It's the heir. And they grabbed him and they beat him and they killed him. Because they said, now it will be ours. And Jesus says, what will the owner do? He will come in judgment. And he will give the vineyard to others. Israel, God's chosen people, bound to God's promises to be a blessing to the world, had reneged on their covenant. And so when Jesus comes and says, I am the true vine, we have to read it in that context. He is saying he is the true revelation of God. To be a blessing to the whole world. And where Israel failed in God's long-term plan to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Here's where I try and impress you with my gardening knowledge, which I read out of a book this week. The vine, if we've got a picture, can we just, sorry, I'm... I always forget to click on. I'll just go back. That's the, a picture of the vine over the temple porch. There we are. I'm told the vine is a utilitarian plant. Now, that's a big word for a Sunday morning. Big word for me, anyway, utilitarian. What it means is this. It means it exists to do one thing. Bear fruit. The vine exists to bear fruit. Fruit. The wood is good for nothing. You can't make chairs out of it. You can't make furniture out of it. It's good for nothing except for fuel for the fire. The foliage doesn't amount to much. And the flowers, they're so tiny, if you tried to fill a vase with them, you'd be there for hours and hours and hours and hours. So a fruitless vine good for nothing. It's good for nothing. It is there to bear fruit, abundant fruit, like that. Jesus talks in this passage about pruning. The vine will be pruned. In the winter, apparently, it'll be pruned right back to the stem. I thought, the, I thought this was dead when I looked at it. That's my uh, expertise. Apparently, it's not dead. It has been pruned severely. I sometimes watch gardeners prune things, and I think they're massacring the thing. Just wait. Oh, yeah. And behold, amazing things happen. And in the spring, all the useless growths are trimmed as well, all to produce more fruit. Jesus says, I am the true vine. He is the one on whom God's purposes in the world are resting. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. He is the one who has been completely obedient to his Father and carried out his commands. 
And those who remain and abide in him are God's people. And they are God's mission team in the world. This isn't just a clever gardening motif. It's about who Jesus is. All the I am sayings are about who Jesus is. All the signs and miracles in John's gospel is about who Jesus is. And who his people are. And that the mission they are part of together. But it is God's mission. Never forget it, it is God's mission. But Jesus calls a new community of God's people who will be in him and through him be in the world. This is about their relationship with him. One that they are to enjoy, cultivate, and they are to glorify him by bearing fruit in the world. This is spoken in the context of mission. We can understand it in the terms of personal discipleship. Of course we can. But it's also spoken in the terms of mission to the world. Jesus is equipping his disciples to go into the world. As he has been sent, he sends them into the world. And one of the items that he gives to them of effective mission is this. Being remaining in him. Joined to him, abiding in him. Because two mistakes the church can make over the years and has done over the years is to make this idea of being sent on mission, we fall for our pride that it's about our efforts, it's about our talents, it's about our energy, and it's not. Jesus so criticized the religious leaders because they were leaving God out. They were doing all the religious stuff, but it had no heart to it, had no meaning to it, had no encounter with God within it. And it wasn't producing the fruit. God comes and looks for fruit and he finds yuck. And even in the history of the Christian church over 2,000 years, We have fallen into the trap of saying it's about us. That we could do whatever we do and God needn't be here and we'd still be the same. Where the church loses its way, it takes its eyes off Jesus. The main thing doesn't become the main thing. It gets lost in tradition and religion and produces no fruit. Or there's the other extreme that we fall into despair and we say, we cannot do anything. Look at us. How useless we are. Jesus sends us out on this mission. Oh, it's all right for the early disciples because they were different from us. No, they weren't. Oh, but we can't do anything. I struggle to even invite a friend to an event. We fall into sometimes despair. We can't do this. It's impossible. Sometimes we can lurch from one to the other. That's why I love what Jesus says here. It's not about you. It's about me. Remain in me. 
If you read this passage again, if you have a chance, just count how many times he says, remain. He just goes on about it. Remain in me. And I'll remain in you. Remain in me. And I'll remain. Remain. Or other versions say, abide. Abide in me. It's a reminder that it's his mission. We're called into partnership with God himself. That's why this is a brilliant item of mission equipment, because it's about partnership with God. We are co-workers with him. And maybe the disciples need to take this in because, you know, he knows what Peter's like. Imagine Peter standing on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching and 3,000 people become Christians on that day. And people start being healed in the streets. And he is tempted to think, aren't I brilliant? It's all about me. And he remembers Jesus saying, it's not about you. This is my power. This is my gospel. This is my mission. I'm the one who's going to use you. The key in this passage is bearing fruit for Jesus, isn't it? And we're grateful that it's not about our skill or our eloquence or even our gifting or even how experienced we are or even how clever we are. Fruit comes by remaining in Jesus, connected to the vine, abiding in him, keeping Jesus at the center. And that's where the religious leaders failed. That's why he criticized them. That's why sometimes the church of Jesus Christ fails because we don't keep Jesus at the center. Where's Jesus gone? Where's the Holy Spirit? That's why you can identify sects who call themselves Christians. Is Jesus at the center? If Jesus isn't at the center, mm mm-mm. And if we don't remain in him, we won't bear fruit. If we're not in Christ, where are we? We're out of Christ. I'm thankful that we're not called to make fruit, produce fruit, but bear fruit. Bear fruit. Jesus is calling his disciples here to stay close, stay connected, stay living in him. Eleven times in seven verses, he says, remain in me. Have you got the message? Remain in me. The key thing is our relationship with Jesus. The key thing as a church is Jesus at the center. Is Jesus the one we glorify? Is Jesus the one that we're making known? And if we do, we will bear fruit. See, I believe churches grow. If they abide in Christ, they'll grow, they'll bear fruit. Fruit in mature disciples, fruit in people becoming disciples, because that's the nature of it. The gospel is the power of God to save. Jesus here calls us his friends as well. What a privilege that is. To be a friend of God. 
How's our relationship with Jesus doing? Just bring it to that individual level. Are we walking by faith? Are we trusting? Are we believing? Is our prayer life what it should be? Because we're as close to God as we want to be, remember. Are we being obedient? Are we saying yes to Jesus, to his commands? Or going our own way and saying, God, will you bless this? I'm going this way, will you bless this? But I'm saying, I want to go your way. Because I know that's where blessing is. Are we getting to know Jesus better? Are we worshipping him with heart and soul and mind and strength? And when suffering comes in our lives and the circumstances and trials of our lives come, are we keeping our eyes fixed on him or are we tempted to take our eyes off? Because when we take our eyes off him, that's when we begin to drift. So when the enemy comes and says, I'll just take you out. And maybe he's pruning even in the circumstances and trials of life, God can turn for good. He, one of the writers I was reading this week said, God is never closer to us than when he's got his pruning shears in his hand. Mm, ouch. And he's teaching us. Will you trust me? Will you go for me? So there is that element of a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus is saying, remain in me, stay connected to me. That's where fruitfulness comes. But also as a church, to his church, that same challenge. Are we abiding? Are we remaining in him? And are we bearing the fruit, the fruit that will last? And Jesus says another amazing thing here. Not only that we're his friends, but he talks about his love for his friends. Jesus loves you as his friend. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. He died for you. On a cross, the most appalling cruelty most appalling suffering, he died for you. The cross is where he takes our sins away. And you know what? Sometimes the church even forgets that. We love him because he first loved us. And we love him because he gave everything for us. Everything. And when a church or a people of God love him in return, amazing things begin to happen. People get saved. People get healed. We had the privilege of just meeting up with Caris yesterday. She's at Battelle, a Christian church organization that just reaches out to the prostitutes and the heroin addicts and, and she said one girl came to know Jesus this week. She's just been in the house a week and he's just overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that Je Jesus would love her. And we can say, well, 
that would be overwhelming if you've been in the gutter and you've just been near to death and you've been... But he did the same for us. Same for us. We are loved. We are his friends. And another thing, we are chosen. I mean, we could just spend hours just in this passage just see, seeing what Jesus says of us. We're his friends. We are loved by him. We are chosen. We didn't choose him. He chose us. I mean, we say yes, but he chose us. And chose us to bear fruit, the fruit of his life in us. Being a disciple of Jesus is our response to all that Jesus has done for us. And it's a personal relationship, commitment, and obedience. Eugene Peterson calls discipleship to long obedience in the same direction. Because it is. It's about the whole life living for Jesus. Abide in me, says Jesus, and you will bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Remain in me. Do you want to bear more fruit for Jesus? I do. He wants us to bear fruit. Maybe today it's a day of saying, yes, Jesus, I am remaining in you. And I'm going to dig deep. And I'm going to cultivate my relationship with you because I want to bear fruit. That's the reason. I want to bear fruit for you. And if that's you, then Jesus is here to meet with you. I'm going to ask the band to come back. We're going to respond to God's word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for your life, for the things that you said, and in this passage, the things that you have said to us, that you call us your friends, that you have loved us as the Father has loved you, and that you have chosen us, and you've called us to bear fruit. We, Lord, we come before you this morning with open hands and open hearts, and pray that you'd fill us with your spirit that we may remain in you. Come Holy Spirit, move amongst us we pray. As we begin to sing and respond, Holy Spirit, will you just move in this place? Will you touch our lives? Will you bring healing? Will you bring restoration? Will you bring challenge? Will you come? And move amongst us. That we may glorify you. In our own lives. But it, together. That we may see your kingdom come. Let's stand together. As the band leaders in response. Let's 
open our hearts to the Lord. Use this next song as a drawing near.